What's up, everybody? It's episode 20 of Magnificent. This week, Glenn is back with us and discussing his thoughts on all of Apple's things announced for the fall. We weigh the pros and cons of Apple TV gaming and discuss how content blockers are shaking up the mobile web. With me this week, as usual, MacTrash.com Senior Editor, Mr. Chris Houck, and just recently back from Minions at the Theater, Mr. J. Glenn Kunzler. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Quite well here. How about you? Always good to be here. Did Glenn find a minion at the theater to follow him and be his slave? You know, I, I've been trying. Uh, they're, they're not as available as that movie would have you believe. Thousands of minions and you can't find a single one to come live in your basement. Well, that movie know, was, right? it was set like 15 years ago. So, so I'm a scoundrel. Minions should be flocking to me. Huh. A scoundrel, a self-proclaimed scoundrel. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> so, uh, busy, busy couple weeks here since the last time we did a show. We, uh, we got two episodes in one week and then took an extra couple days off because of that. So I think it's been like, what, 10, 11, 12 days since we've recorded? I feel like it's been forever. What did we do, like the Thursday after the, so the 10th? And we did the, the day after the event we recorded, so we're at like so, yeah, we're, 12 days wow. since we've we've formally chatted. Long time. Longer for Glenn, because he missed out on the uh, post-WWDC, or not WWDC, Jesus. Has, has Glenn been on this it? year? Uh, fiscal year, or? Yes, all, all of the above. Uh, probably not. That we've noticed. I'm not even sure he's here tonight. He hasn't said anything yet. Oh, I'm here. Oh, I am here. I'm definitely here. You can't get rid of me that easily, guys. I know. You've tried. Like a bad rash. So, uh, Glenn, what did you think of Apple's September 9th event? You get to carry the entire podcast, Glenn, and we've got like four weeks you haven't been here, so it's all you. Hey, I'm all right with that. I'm, I'm, I th- somehow, I thought you would be. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm gonna mute. I'm gonna mute and listen. It's it's not like I just like to hear myself talk or something. Oh oh wait, I kind of do. I, I liked the event. Um, I really do think it was their most exciting event in several years. Lots of really really big material to cover. Everything relatively innovative, from the iPad Pro to the new Apple TV to completely new concepts coming to the iPhone such as 3D Touch, which is a step above and beyond even the Force Touch that they've already introduced, um, revamping basically everything they've talked about in a big enough way to make my mouth water a little bit. I, I think the level of excitement coming from that event, even though there was really only one brand new product, um, just incredible. But really, if you think about it, the one brand new product that you're talking about, which I assume you're meaning the iPad Pro, yes, sir, is is just as much a new product as the new Apple TV is to the old Apple TV, because there was an iPad before it. Well, that's true. It's just bigger, better, faster, more awesome, and the new Apple TV. Just a kind of new concept in iPads. Yeah, like like the TV. I, I can accept that parallel. That that makes so, sense. Well, I agree, hundred percent. It was a very exciting <sighs> event. A very well done event, I think. So, um, um, I, I kind of, I kind of wish we would have seen more, even though <laughs> it was really pushing the two hour boundary. I think it broke two hours, even 
not including musical performance. Yeah, yeah, it was certainly one of the longest events on record. I could have done without one or two demos. Yeah. Because I, I went back after we had discussed it on the last uh, last podcast. Uh, I went back and rewatched the whole thing. Well, most of the whole thing. And I, I skipped some of the demos. And they didn't... Some of them didn't add enough to the whole event. Yeah, they, they could have cut out that whole high-end clothing shopping bit. That and... I didn't need both Microsoft and Adobe on stage, although fantastic to see Microsoft on stage and their... See, I didn't mind that at all, because I thought it did a great job of showing the potential of what they've got there. Yeah, but I would have I would have much rather seen, like, in, in place of Adobe, more of an artistic presentation. Somebody drawing, somebody showing shading better. Oh, sure. Because really, he, he came in and he was like, I'm going to make this woman smile. And I'm going to place her picture here, and I'm going to add some text, and then I'm going to watercolor in this picture, which is just, I mean, yeah, apps have done that for a long time. So I, I wanted to see more, I think more of the pencil stuff would have maybe made it better and less of the things we already kind of can do. I was kind of hoping they would have done some cool demos with their own apps, like maybe taking a photo straight into pages, pasting it into a flyer, doing instant alpha to get the texture app, all cleanly and smoothly using the stylus to add effects. Uh, the, the kind of cool demos we're used to seeing on Macs if you go to the Apple Store or, or to a lot of the premium resellers. That would have been neat. Um, I would have loved to see how that stuff worked on the iPad Pro. But that, that could have used both, run both things into one. You could have shown off the productivity side of it and the creative side of it and one thing slimmed that down. Yeah. But it was fun to see Microsoft on stage. <laughs> I, I think I think this was them giving a really serious nod to the enterprise. Yeah, I could see that. I remember reading that uh what's uh Microsoft CEO's name now? Who's who's CEO? Do you remember his name? Uh Satya Nadella. There you go, thanks. Say that three times fast. Satchmo. Um, I guess he did a demo at a Microsoft event. I think it was the next day. And it was involved the iPhone quite a bit, as I understand. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they were showing a lot of Microsoft stuff on the iPhone. He called it the uh, iPhone Pro or something like that because it had the <laughs> Microsoft apps on it. Nice. But so I, I think Microsoft's serious about uh, what they're doing on the iPad. I, I think. I think we're going to see them become more of a "Hey, we're everywhere, so use us" type company. Yeah, and I think they've I think they've realized that trying to be the phone manufacturer and the operating system provider for the phone and the tablet person, like they're really really good at productivity apps, and they have been for years. Which is why everyone, whether you're using Pages or Word, you refer to it as a Word document. Like right. no one says, "Send me that Pages document." Uh, or that that's nobody says send me that numbers file you say send me that excel sheet or whatever or that outside of cupertino anyway right so microsoft has done a really good job of positioning themselves as a productivity software company right they're almost like the kleenex of exactly. the business world <laughs> so so for them to focus on getting their apps on devices that aren't theirs is, is probably just as important to them or seems like it's just as important to them as trying to create their own devices to do their things. Right. Anything else out of the event that shocked you, Mr. Glenja? Not that, not that shocked me in particular, I wouldn't say most of it was, uh, was more or less expected. Um, I was a little surprised that we didn't hear 
anything at all about the Mac. We didn't hear anything about El Cap. We didn't hear anything about their plans for 4K on the 21-inch iMacs. A complete lack of, of any kind of mention of that sort of thing. Um, which is especially surprising if they're not going to be holding another event this year. I wonder if they'll hold, even though everybody says they're not going to do another event, I'm wondering if they'll do like a second event that's iPad Pro and Max before the iPad Pro comes out mm-hmm. to to show more of what it can do. Because I feel like they were like, oh, look at this great thing, but maybe there's there's more to it that we don't know. Maybe this is where they come in and show more of the artist stuff and they, I don't know. Maybe they have something up their sleeve where, you know, the iPad Pro and the Mac's going to work great together. Like yeah. Maybe some... An option where you can use it as a input surface for your Mac. Oh, that would be awesome. Right, that that would be awesome. Yeah. That would be awesome. It's, it, it, would, it would really take the idea of the... Uh, and I've, I've listened to too many podcasts now. Everybody keeps saying Wacom, but as far as I know, it's Wacom. That's it is Wacom. Say. Okay. So everyone else is wrong. Perfect. Um, Whack-a-mole. Yeah, it's not Wacom. It's Wacom, I'm pretty sure. Never Wacom. Uh, you can touch them, but don't yeah, whack them. Don't, don't whack them if you can avoid it. <laughs> A gentle touch is always preferred. Anyway, they have the uh, the Cintiq, which is an actual monitor. Yeah. Or, or CentQ, as they say on the other website, other yeah. podcasts. Yeah. Uh, the Cintiq, which you can – it's a pen input, but on a monitor screen, and you can use it as an input device. If the iPad Pro could do that to the Mac, I think artists' heads would explode. Yeah. They also make some pretty, pretty dang cool styluses for the iPad. Um, Bluetooth-enabled styluses, even. They've got some really smart stuff out there that uh, does, doesn't doesn't rival the pencil. The, the pencil was pretty intuitive, but gets gets pretty close. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them come up with and launch a direct pencil rival, maybe at a slightly lower price point. I just don't see why. If if the pencil does everything and it's from Apple, why would you want a third-party one that does the same thing? Oh, way, way too many reasons, right? Retail, look at retail, right? Retail's all about margins. Right. If you can produce something at a much lower margin that's just as nice and does the same thing, or maybe even something that adds additional features, retailers are going to go nuts for it, and the customers are going to go nuts for it because they're going to be able to get it for a lower price point. Yep, there's a bunch of little rooms in China right now where they're working on exactly that. I, I think this was Apple's big mistake in making it an accessory rather than an included item. If they would have started bundling these with the iPad, it would be much, much more difficult for competition to enter that arena. Now, you've got to spend $100 anyway. You might as well shop around and spend the best $100 you can. You got to remember though, if if Apple doesn't allow somebody like Wacom or um I don't even know who some of these other stylus companies out there are, uh if they don't allow them access to those special APIs for stuff, it's possible. See, but that's 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 not even that's not what it's about. It's about developer support. Look at what's already out there. Look at the smart styluses that existed before the pencil. Many of them already had pressure sensitivity. Many of them already had macro support. Many of them already have support in a lot of popular apps, such as Paper by 53 and Adobe's creative apps and other artistic apps and photo editing apps. 
it's it's definitely not a foreign concept, and I, I think companies could do this with or without Apple's help. I don't know. I th- I think that just my understanding and my interpretation of what the pencil is, it is something that no one else has come close to, and it was one of those, here's an easy market for Apple to come in and shake things up. Oh, uh, absolutely. And that's from multiple different podcasts and things I've read of people that were at the event and tried it out that by Apple doing this, like everyone else, if if they're going to come out with something, it's either going to be a while because it's right now mad scramble, try to throw something together really fast or it's, it's just not going to happen. And Apple, it'll be a hundred dollar thing that Apple offers. And if somebody else offers something, it's not going to be the same or comparable, but it, they might have similar features. So I definitely agree that nobody's gotten there yet. Um, but think about what tends to happen as soon as Apple enters a product market like smart styluses, right? The industry explodes. This is the exact sort of thing that's needed for this type of accessory market to gain so much traction, to gain so much competition. This is going to spark the type of innovation that's going to bring new and better products. For instance, one thing that Apple's Pencil apparently lacks that everything I can read is any kind of eraser function, which you know some other styluses have, have already figured out. Uh, there's definitely ways to improve on it. Um, Apple's going to be watching what third parties do. Apple's going to learn from this as well, ultimately, I think. So I see a note here that someone, one of the two of you, and I'm assuming it's Glenn, believes the iPad Air is dead, since we're on the topic of iPad anyway. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to think about it. it. It's a little strange to me that the only iPad they talked about was the iPad Pro. The iPad Mini 4 was all but a soft launch, all but unmentioned, and the iPad Air got no attention whatsoever. And I'm I'm really not sure what their angle is on that. Um, Certainly they could have done something for people who don't want a 13-inch screen, because I think there's going to be a large marker for whom that's just too big of a device. Why do you think they downplayed the iPad Air to such a significant extent? I think the iPad Air 2 um, was so overpowered last year when it was announced compared to where previous iPads were that them sleeping on it for a year gives them a chance to then launch this iPad Pro, bring the Mini up to par, and then next year they can refresh the whole line with 3D Touch or whatever it is and say now we can bring this this next new feature to all three of these in one shot. Yeah, people were saying last year that the iPad Mini was dead. Yeah. Because all the all the all the update was was what Touch ID. Right. Otherwise it was the same as the iPad Mini 2. So everybody's saying well they're obviously not taking any care with it. They don't give a shit about the Mini. It'll be gone in a year or two. They're still not really taking any care with it because even the Mini Four feels like an afterthought, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 an iPad, it's an iPad Air two in a smaller package. Well, sure, but it's 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 an afterthought. But, but it's a hell of a it's it's a hell of a jump from the last one. It's a hell of a jump, but it was out of mandate because people were pissed and people weren't buying the Mini Three. It wasn't selling. They had to do something. 
also keep in mind that you you pointed out earlier the event was two plus hours they couldn't sit there and spend five minutes talking about the iPad mini like what what are you going to say about it hey we know that last year we kind of you know skated by and didn't do anything to the mini so we made up for it and now it's just as powerful and fast as the iPad Air 2. Like, the fact that they said it at all, instead of just, like, splashing it up on a screen or press releasing it, at least it got mentioned in the event. That's true. So, I I don't think any of the iPads are to a point now where they're dead. I think that Apple is in a position where they can now release three varying sizes of the iPad. You have two varying sizes of the iPhone. You have three varying sizes, four varying sizes of the Mac, or the MacBook at least. And they don't have to update every one of them at the same time. Right, that they can they can pick and choose what gets updated where and try to update. And like obviously the phones always go together. The iPads probably next year will all go together. The idea that they can now spread themselves across different things and they can hit a market that no matter what size device you want, they now have something in it. I can't help but think that they're setting us up for another February Shazam, like they did with uh, the iPad 4. You mean the time when they put the lightning port on the bottom of the I, I guess it was iPad the 3. iPad 3, right? It was just kind of a hardware revision right in the middle of the stream. I think it was the th- I think the 3 was the one that was announced in the fall and the 4 was the one that got the spring kick. Maybe I'm maybe I'm backwards on those. It seemed like there was two versions of the three. Initially, it had a 30-pin, and then there was a hardware revision with a lightning port. I remember something about that. All I know, it was the model that I I bought originally. I know that. I know the three had the 30-pin originally anyway, because that's what I've got. Yeah, and then I was super pissed, because like six months later, they were like, oh, now the port on it matches your iPhone 5 that you just got. And I was like, damn it. And the iPad got its 128-gig option in an you know, mid-winter release, early spring. That's true. Which was fairly quiet, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just a, a press release. Just, just kind of Surprise, like, it's 6 a.m., here's some new stuff, guys. Um, I don't know, what What do you guys think about the prospects of us seeing new hardware early next year? I think, considering all of the things that they could have mentioned, but chose not to for whatever reason, we're almost certain to see some new things either closer to December or the beginning of next year. Almost inevitable at this point, I think. Yeah, it's getting a little late for, you know, to make it by Christmas. Well, they've done some November stuff before. Yeah, but if they do anything like that, it might be a a stealth type, just here's a press release type thing, unless it's something really big. Yeah. So, like, Boom, here's your iPad Pro, and by the way, 4K 21-inch iMac. Yeah, or, you know, here's your iPad Air 3. It's got uh, the A9X in it. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think there's a chance we'll see a new iPad Air or Mini, especially considering they just bumped the Mini up. Well, no, not the Mini. But, but so, the but iPad it, Air 3, they It make can... sense to have one out of stride with the other two. I think the iPad Air gets a sleeper a year, and then next year they all get bumped together. But I could see another event. Maybe it's, like you said, maybe it's November, end of October, whenever the iPad Pro is about to go on pre-order. Have an event, talk about the iPad Pro briefly, and then that might be their chance to talk about Macs and maybe 
seeing that MacBook form factor kind of trickle out to the others and the USB-C trickle out to the others. Yeah. And maybe maybe we get a a 14-inch or a, the bigger screen size, 13, 15, whatever, of the MacBook. Because like my biggest issue right now with the MacBook is I don't feel like the uh, the 12 inches, it, it's not quite big enough. And a little bit more side-to-side space would make it a lot better to me. I don't know. We'll find out as the fall rolls along. Maybe we're all wrong. Maybe there's no event. Maybe there's a press release and that's all we get. It's definitely something coming. Um, Real quick, your thoughts on the Apple TV? Oh, slam dunk. Absolute slam dunk. Uh, the only thing they could have added that they didn't was 4K support. Um, and I'm still not convinced that they're not going to. I still think there's a possibility that that might happen. But as as far as the sort of changes I was expecting, the sort of changes I was hoping for, the sort of changes that I thought might fall in line, absolutely hit all the all the marks. Sure. It's got a fantastic app store. They seeded hardware units to developers, so we're going to have some great apps from day one. They've really done a smart job redoing the interface. The voice control is not just a gimmick. It's actually something functional and something with pretty incredible system-wide capabilities. The motion controls seem very, very natural and fluid, not necessarily as, as... jerky and involved as something like the Nintendo Wii, although that was innovative for its day. I really think they hit all the marks and then some. I, I'm kind of amazed that they're able to put it out for 150 I, I really am. I could, I can kind of agree with that, but I also know that if had they done any more expensive than that, I don't think they would have had any luck. Right. And I am rearranging the show notes a little bit for us because since we're on the Apple TV topic, I want to have this debate with you. Absolutely. Let's let's bring the heat. So, um, $150 gets you the Apple TV and this tiny little remote with a little touch surface and I think a collective of five buttons. Well, technically six buttons, but one of them is an up-down volume. So, yeah. Um, originally, when the announcement happened... On Apple TV's page on Apple's site, it said that you could also use these third-party controllers. And not only that, it actually specifically stated that you could require a third-party controller, which I was 100% in favor of. And then somewhere after a couple days had passed, a day or two had passed, they corrected the verbiage, or changed the verbiage, corrected, incorrected, broke it, uh, to say that the game must support the Siri remote, but can optionally also utilize the game controller. So, I want to hear your argument on why it's a good idea to allow developers to require a game controller. I think when you consider the the types of games that people want to play on their TV, most people, now with the exception of like the Wii I'm playing with my family or whatever type games. I feel like the type of game I want to play on a TV is more complicated than what a little swipe gesture accelerometer remote can give me. I want 
that that gamer experience is based on having this kick-ass controller. And it has been for as long as video games have been around, basically. Granted, the controllers were less kick-ass than they are now. At least since the original Nintendo. Right. And uh, so the idea that you have these controllers, that, that that's your interaction, and now Apple's basically saying, well, that's great. You can use that kind of controller in your game, but you have to make it so the game is playable with a device that, from my understanding, you basically get the swipe area, you get to tip forward and backward, and you can twist side to side. So you get your your Wii-type steering. But as far as physical buttons, you basically can only swipe on the touchpad, tap and click, but apparently the tap and click feel almost the same from a couple of the developers who got these developer units. So to me, it just doesn't seem like you can do enough with the Siri remote to make the game really playable or certain types of games playable with that controller that you really need the extra buttons and D-pad and joysticks. That's my argument. Any any sports game. Any sports game, any war game or like Grand Theft Auto even. Right. I mean, I don't know. I, I think there's there's a level of gaming that if you restrict developers to, they have to make it compatible with the Siri remote you're restricting the type of game that can happen. Okay. So let's 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 do a thought experiment here, right? So let's think about let's think about what makes Apple great. Let's think about what's caused their products to be so successful over the years. We've we've got a couple of key factors. One, it offers something unique, innovative, and accessible, right? Mm-hmm. One of the key things that makes the App Store function as well as it does on the iPhone and on the iPad and on the Mac is that you pretty well know that if you download something from the App Store, you don't have to look through a laundry list of system requirements. You download it, it's going to work. I download an iPhone app, and as long as I'm not running an old version of iOS, as long as I have a fairly modern device, it's usable and playable and accessible by all users from day one without any additional hardware whatsoever. I think if you drop that level of integration, you lose something very, very important. And... The value of accessibility can't be understated here. If suddenly we start having apps and games and experiences that are exclusive to external pieces of hardware, we lose a very big piece of what makes Apple's platform so simple. What makes it work, what makes it effective, what makes it an almost viral method for offering your content. It would be like Sony allowing developers to create games. Now, it's a little bit different on consoles because generally you're going to buy a game from a store and it's going to come with whatever you need. But Apple doesn't have that luxury, right? 
you're not getting something physical when you buy a game from the app store. You're tapping a button, and if you get something that then doesn't work, you're going to be pissed. You're going to have a bad experience, and it's not going to work out. It's going to cause uproar. Gamers are going to be disappointed. Kids are going to be disappointed. People that didn't understand that you needed a piece of hardware in order for that thing to function correctly are going to be disappointed. I think the level of backlash and the level of discontinuity that would cause with Apple's platform could be potentially catastrophic. On to the next point. Let's talk for a minute about controllers. I have in my hands right now Sony's DualShock 3. I've configured it to work with my Mac. I've I figured out some kind of clever tweaks that you can almost get it to work on an iPad. It's it's a pretty great game controller. It's, it's a classic design. I, I'm kind of counting the buttons on here. So I've got I've got two two triggers on the back on the bottom. I've got two triggers on the back on the top. So I've got four buttons. Mm-hmm. I've got the various triangles and X's and O's. Yep. That's eight buttons. I've got a select button, a start button. The only thing I have other than that are analog sticks and directional keys. Yep. Now, let's talk for a minute about innovation, something that Apple's really, really good at. Taking something new and doing something really unexpected with it. In the Siri remote, you've got a bunch of really interesting levels of control. Yep. Now, you may only have six physical buttons to work with, But you've also got axes Mm -hmm. that you can measure motion with. You've also got touch and swipe and various levels of sensitivity that can be combined with those axes. So in reality, if you think about it, you've really got just as many functional controls built in to that remote that you have on even one of the most popular modern game controllers, the DualShock 3, which held its own for close to a decade. I see no reason why you couldn't have a complex gaming experience with the Siri remote. Keep it keep in and mind, I, I, mm-hmm. you said it has six buttons. One of those right. is menu, one of those is Siri, and two of those are volume. So you actually have two buttons. Even so, the number of functions that you have, motion tracking, swipe tracking, and clicks, and the combination of those elements allows you to create sets of much more complex functions. The way you hold... But those aren't, those aren't, those aren't visible elements like they are on the... On the they uh, don't need to be On the Sony elements, controller. But they don't need to What be. about the frustration level of people trying to learn it? Yeah. They just I mean, need to function, right? But, so... I get what you're saying, right? I think what you're saying is the Siri remote doesn't make for an ideal gaming experience. And I'll grant that. I'll grant that it's not ideal to hold a little stick-shaped device and, and attempt to play a complex game. But requiring an external controller is much, much worse then allowing a basic level of usable functionality with the remote that comes with the device. Now, 
I would go so far as to say maybe developers should say their game works better with hardware, works better with a gamepad, works better with a dedicated controller made by whomever, certified by Apple's MFI program. But to require that from the get-go would be an enormous mistake. Even if you're not getting the ideal gaming experience from the Siri remote, you're still getting something functional. And you're still getting some level of usability, some level of gaming experience. You're getting a taste. You're getting something still fun, still kind of usable, even if you can't crush your friends in whatever game you're playing with that remote. You're getting something that works. Functionable, kind of usable. That, that doesn't go with Apple. Yeah. It does, though. It really does. You have a basic level of usability that works for everything, which can be extended yeah. with peripherals. I don't know. I think something as simple as, so let's say I want Grand Theft Auto, and the developer says it requires a controller. I go to buy it, and it gives me a prompt, please connect your controller to download this game. Or controller required, please connect controller to download this game. And you connect your steel series nimbus and it says okay that checks now you can download this game i mean it's it's the same idea as that's that's i mean it's it, it we did it for or nintendo did it with the wii forever you get a game and it requires the nunchuck it required an additional piece of hardware and and people never complained about it they're like oh i have to yeah. get this nunchuck to go with it because it extended the controller because the little stick wasn't enough but you don't have that same level of luxury with Apple, right? You've got nothing made by Apple yet that resembles a game controller. Instead, you've got a market of competing third-party products. If you allowed people to acquire a peripheral, you'd end up with a, a complete catastrophe in which users are having to buy three, four, five peripherals to have a reasonable gaming experience on their product. No, no, they, they all have they all have to meet the MFI specifications. Right. But it wouldn't be very hard at all for them to require a certain product or a product with more features. There could be some controllers with more and less buttons that still meet Apple's MFI requirements. I don't think so. They'd be cutting you their own neck. You, They'd be cutting their own necks. They are they would be cutting their own necks by by requiring advanced hardware to access something that's already available on the device. That's what would be cutting their own necks. You don't want to require people to buy a third-party product just to have the experience that you advertised from the get-go. If that experience doesn't come in the box, you blew it. If that experience doesn't come in the box, you blew it. You can enhance that experience whatever way you want with peripherals. But if the basic experience doesn't come in the box, you blew it. People aren't going to handle it well. I don't know. My my, th my thinking on it is the people that are going to play the games that don't need a fancy remote aren't going to be, or fancy controller, aren't going to be trying to download the games that require the fancy controller. And then the gamers that want it aren't going to play a game on the Apple TV with the stick anyway. So, I I think... I think it's an interesting move by Apple to make it required. I think maybe you're right. Maybe the the idea of making the experience accessible to everyone is their goal. But I think that there is a potential for some games to end up with a 
slightly crippled experience because the game has to be compatible down to the lowest common denominator, which is a remote with almost no buttons. Here's where I think the mystique lies. Apple should have endorsed a game controller they did. or released a game. Con- no, they really didn't. They told you that one would exist. That's all they did, right? They should make one accessible with the order of the Apple TV through the Apple Store. No other game console or set-top box that advertises gaming that's come out so far hasn't included an adequate solution in the box. Mm. Even the Roku 3, which kind of started this concept of playing simple games on your TV set-top box, included a remote that was fully functional for all the games they would allow in their store. Why didn't Apple? I, I guess the answer is, and this is the point I've been driving at a whole, the, the, the whole time, I guess the answer is, they did. And that controller is the Siri remote. That's why it has to be usable for everything, because people expect an out-of-box experience. I'm not buying it. Good, good, good debate, though. I, I think that comparing the Roku to an Apple TV, when the the collection of games even possibly available on the Roku is so small compared to what the Apple TV will inevitably have, yeah. because the Apple developer community, it's you're comparing apples to oranges, and yeah, no, 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 no pun intended, and, right? And I'm, I'm, you have I'm a comparing for one and. Uh, blender for the other i'm i'm not comparing products i'm comparing concepts and i get that the concept of an out-of-box experience well one thing we haven't even looked at is the amazon fire tv it has i mean you can sideload android games onto it even if they're not available in the in the amazon store um and i remember purchasing one and while it had the remote and while many of the games worked with the remote, there were still games you needed to buy that controller for, pay that extra thirty nine ninety nine for that controller. And Amazon made yeah. the controller. Right. Right. So they did. see that that that's the difference, right? The the controller was a, an immediately available choice when you were ordering. I think Apple's making it pretty clear that this Steel Series Nimbus is their preferred yeah, controller. That, and my guess is it's going to be available. It, when you go into store, uh, because the Apple TV right now is a shelf space item, right next to the right Apple TV, to you're going to have this, this controller sitting there, and it's going to be smiling at you saying, you want to play games that are fun? Spend the extra, I think it's 50 bucks. Yeah. It's definitely the anointed one when it comes to controllers. I, I guess I guess what I really wonder, um, let, let's talk for a minute about an ill-fated product called the Ouya. Are you guys all familiar with the Ouya? Yeah, it was an it was an Android powered TV set top box designed for gaming. Now, the thing that made the Ouya the limited success that it was was that it came with a cheap yet well built controller right in the box. They promoted it as a gaming experience, and they did everything they could to make it an out of box gaming experience. It surely couldn't cost Apple much to build a basic MFI game controller. Why not put something in the box? Because a lot of people aren't getting this as a gaming console. They're getting it as a media consumption console. 
so it's it it's trying to be it's 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 acting as two products and apple's trying to say you can do both of these things here's the again that that lowest common denominator we need to give you a remote that you can control the tv stuff with but we also want to make it so you can play angry birds or crossy roads or whatever on this device but if you want to do more than that it it's just like plex there's a Plex app that's coming out for the Apple TV, but you need a lot more than just the Plex app to make Plex happen. Mm-hmm. So to say that, oh, I can get Plex, well, no, there's a, you have to go and have a, a computer acting as a Plex server, and you have to have all your content converted to the right format, and this and that, and money spent. So what? why can't developers do the same thing and say, well, you, you have to have all this stuff for Plex, no one's stopping that. Why not say, well, you have to have all this stuff to play this game? Or this one thing, really. Just any Apple MFI controller. Because the the specs say it has to have these buttons and it has to have this basic concept. They can change where the analog sticks are. But other than that, it has to be a set a set layout. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a reasonable argument. Um I don't know. I, I, I still kinda wanna say that Apple's probably got something interesting built into their remote. That's gonna make it a little more usable as a rudimentary gaming device it we shall seems see. like they've got to i think and and who knows maybe six months or a year from now they'll update it with 4k and apple will release their own game controller I'd be that'd be that. interesting who else is surprised that they didn't engage in an outright partnership with a gaming giant like nintendo like i yeah. asked for or sony or anyone I'm surprised, but I'm also not surprised because when you look at the iOS app store and the number of games out there, they didn't partner with anybody specific and there's, there's no shortage of success in games on, on that. And that's certainly true. If they bring Alto's adventure or breakout or, or breakneck or whatever the hell the game was I was playing the other day or Hollywood game night or any of those, uh, types of games to it i mean they're not gonna have a problem Angry yeah, instead of instead of partnering with the with the sony or nintendo i mean with the ios devices they basically have made sony and nintendo's portable gaming systems if not obsolete close to it close to it yeah mm-hmm. so rather than partnering they could just kill kill all right that's enough apple tv-ness it's making my head hurt <laughs> so uh, to, we're recording this on Tuesday. Um, so if you're listening to this right now, it's probably Wednesday or later. Um, in a couple days, Friday, the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus will officially be available in Apple stores should they have supply. Pre-orders should be delivered unless the Pope is in your town and causing delivery issues, which I heard on the news today. That um, darn pope. That bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and we went there. <laughs> hey, I think it's just, just very inconsiderate of him. Um, short of those things, it, it looks like you'll be able to get an iPhone 6S or 6S Plus on Friday. So my question to you two, and Chris, I believe you kind of already answered this last week. What, if anything, are you getting? 6S Plus 128 Space Gray. 
And did you did you pre-order for delivery to your house? Did you pre-order to pick up in store? Is it coming straight to your Simply Mac, and you're gonna just open it there? It's it's coming straight to the receiving office at my store, so I I can I can hide for a little bit, and I can have a little bit of fun when it comes, and have a prop to show customers, assuming we don't get a demo unit on day one, which sometimes happens. So this is you, you ordered it, it. It's one that's personally coming to you, not like the store is getting copy or getting multiple units, and you're taking one of them. Oh yeah, it's definitely one I ordered straight from Apple. Okay, Chris, did you? I did not pre-order. I think I'm not due to get one until December. Because your T-Mobile thing. T-Mobile thing, yeah. I can check and see if they do early upgrades or what. And, and I, I can get a different one every year, so that's what I'll do. It'll probably be the same model as what uh, Glenn just said. It'll definitely be the 6S Plus 128 if I can get it. So I was really, really close to getting the gold one. I really had to talk myself out of it hard. The rose gold? No, no, just the, re- the regular golds. The reg- Not the I haven't pink. touched one of the gold devices yet, but I was close. I really liked my gold 5S. I liked the way it looked. The only thing stopping me is the video experience late at night. I don't think it's going to be as good on a white screen. I agree 100%. And I've made that argument before, that the black bezel makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm. I, you don't really notice it in the dark. I mean, I've always heard it's all the same in the dark, and it's true. It's true. So I, I said last time we recorded that I didn't think I was going to get it. I think you were a liar. And I think I even texted you guys, and I was like, I don't think I'm getting one. And you you're like, Come us. on, tell us the truth. <laughs> so Friday at eleven, <laughs> I have an appointment at Apple to go pick up my Space Gray sixty-four gig. 6s plus and that will mean that i'm moving from the 6s or the 6 to the s plus so i'm I'm going up in size and to the new model you'll never go back well done you'll never go back so that's i i've been every time i have an opportunity to i see my wife's phone sitting on the counter or the couch or whatever i pick it up because she has the 6 plus and I, I try to i go into notes and i type something or i try to surf the web on it um the other night, I tried to send myself a text from her phone one-handed. That was a little bit of a challenge, but on my 6, it's kind of a challenge, so I don't feel like that'll be an issue. So I, I think I'll like it. Um, so even though I had said before, I'm not doing the new phone, I lied. <laughs> Liar. Uh, I still have the op- option to go back, technically. I mean, if if I don't go in on Friday... Um, I could get, ooh, what is that? Wine. wine. A magical glass ooh. of wine just appeared. A little late. The wine fairy is real. The wine fairy. I was <laughs> like, that's the lightest whiskey I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just really light whiskey. It's good wine, too. I have no idea what it is, but it tastes good. So. That's all that matters. Yeah. So, Friday, iPhone 6S Plus. I'm joining the uh, big screen elite, and running with the big kids. Yeah. All all the reviews that have come in so far of the success and success plus, because I think those came out of embargo today, uh, all seem to say that it's really the biggest upgrade in iPhone in a long time, from a in an S model upgrade. And I've never been an S owner, 
So it'll be nice to maybe try out the other side of the cycle. And then I can just sell a 6. So if anybody's looking for an iPhone 6, hit me up on Twitter, at Ian Fuchs. We can uh, work something out, maybe. You're finding one of the cool kids, Ian. I guess. How does it feel? Uh, I'll let you know on Friday. So next <laughs> next week's episode, I'll let you know how it feels to uh, have bought all new pants. Where are you going? Oh, no, never mind. You just carry it in the backpack. There you go. So uh, other other app-related news. iOS 9 came out last week. Last week? Last week. Uh, and along with it should have been watchOS 2. watchOS 2 was delayed due to some health kit type sensor issues with apps trying to access the sensors. They delayed the release of it as of yesterday. Uh, watchOS 2 is out. I am now running the final version of it. Uh, complications are by far my favorite part of watchOS 2. Uh, the new custom complications developers can build. Um, although, having used the beta all summer, there might be other things that I'm not noticing because they're things I've been using. Um, Glenn, I assume you've done the update. I sure have. Uh, favorite feature? You know, I, I don't see a whole lot different. Um, I, I do enjoy the nightstand mode. I, I oh. will say that. That's that's kind of nice. Absolutely. Um, and I love the fact that it's really sensitive to tap. So, all I've really got to do is, like, thump my nightstand and the watch lights up. I, I really like that. That's handy. I like because whenever I reach out, like, to grab my water, because I always have a Yeah, it triggers water, it, right? And yeah. as I grab the water, it's just enough vibration that the watch picks it up. And it even sit, I have it sitting on a little pad that's supposed to take out some of that vibration. And yeah, it even I, I think that's a really up. nice touch, to be honest. Because yeah. the screen isn't always lit up. It's only lit up, in theory, when you need it to be lit up. And so it's nice. I can take my drink of water and go, oh, my God, my alarm's going to go off in 30 minutes. Why do I always wake up 30 minutes before my alarm? Isn't that the worst? I do that, too. Like, every day. It's a curse. It doesn't even matter when I set an alarm for it. It happens as you get older, trust me. I'm up to an hour now. Fantastic. (laughs) And wake up every 10 minutes and look at the clock. I'm looking forward to waking up at 4.30. Yeah. Um. So iOS 9, like I said, actually did come out last week, as expected. And the internet went ablaze with everyone complaining that, oh, the updates are failing. Well, it's it's kind of like that Verizon commercial where you have the little tiny door and all the people that try to run through it. Mm-hmm. Everyone's trying to get to a server. And you have literally millions, potentially, of people trying to get to a server or a collection of servers to get an update. It doesn't work because everyone else is there. Wait your turn. It, it ends up coming around. Everyone seemed to think that was a big deal, a botched update, whatever. No, it's just a lot of traffic. There were some issues, though, and that it would uh, basically freeze at various points of the update process, right? Mm. Oh, yes. It, it's It's been probably the most disappointing update for people that we've seen in the store um, probably ever. I can't tell you how many devices I've counted, and and mostly in the iPhone 5 range, although some 6s, some iPads, where it simply freezes at the upgrade screen after the upgrade is finished. It won't let people continue. Restoring the device and then attempting to restore from an iCloud backup also results in freezing. The only way to fix it, seemingly, is 
to restore the device and set it up as new, which for a lot of users is not ideal. They might lose a lot of photos. They might lose important content that was on their device. They might lose their message history. Well, Apple I, is uh, suggesting you do it from an iTunes backup. Oh, they do. I, yeah, I, I've seen that, but for a lot of people, it was too late. Sure, or a customer comes in the store, they don't have their computer with right. them. Right. You, you don't, you're not going to back it up to a public demo computer. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see how for that's an a, issue. For a company promoting the post-PC experience, this was a pretty big oversight. Um, a, 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 a very apparent lack of quality control testing, I think. Um, I, I've, I don't think I've ever been more disappointed with how something was rolled out. Literally dozens of customers, all with the same problem. Some tears shed, many of them highly disappointed. One lady lost some really important pictures of her son that she could never recover because she hadn't backed it up to a computer and didn't have iCloud Photo Library turned on. It seems like they could have done a better job making sure those kinds of issues were ironed out. Surely they have devices to test this with. You would think. I will say, the number of people that I've spoken to and... Uh, specifically in, in my coworkers that don't use the iCloud photo library. Here is a prime reason to use iCloud photo library mm -hmm. because it, it's always the ones who have, they're like, oh, I lost all my important, like between iCloud backing up to do your contacts. Because even if you don't restore from a backup, when you sign into iCloud, things like your contacts will come back. It's a bit of a trap though. I, I worry that iCloud photo library is a little bit of a trap. Because I, I don't really know of anybody that does much photography at all that has it turned on that hasn't been required to purchase additional space from Apple. But even at that, for for ninety nine cents you get twenty gig, and for two ninety nine you get two hundred gig. I think. Oh yeah, it's it's affordable enough. Yeah. Well, actually, the ninety nine cents a month now is up to fifty gig. Mine, mine, mine jumped up to fifty gig the other day. Okay. Oh, that's right, because they updated the pricing. So, and and mine mine went down a dollar, but I still have my two hundred gig. I get it. Yeah, you don't want to pay for that. So, if you don't use iCloud Photo Library, fine. Dropbox has an option to do backups. Google Photos has an option to do backups. Whatever One it is, drive. if you're taking photos on your iPhone, back them up to something else. Having only a copy on your iPhone is bad. Right. I don't think it's about the money though. Um, I've seen a lot of people that, you know, just they're basic users. Maybe they don't understand how to upgrade their storage. Maybe they don't even know what's possible. No, the uh, the pop-ups that they get every day that says your iCloud is out of space upgrade. <laughs> uh, I, I still, I can't tell you how many people over the age of 50. Oh, I, I know. That we've, that we've seen come in our store and says, it tells me I need more space, and, and can you help me figure that out? Because I don't know how to do that. And and the confusion between iCloud space and device space, yeah, especially for, for some people, is, is hard. And I 100% I get it. I have a, a coworker that did the uh, was trying to do the update to iOS 8 last year and didn't have space, and didn't have space on her device. And then she bought iCloud space. It's like, oh, I upgraded my mm -hmm. iCloud so I could do the update, and then it still didn't work, and then I ended up deleting... A bunch of apps. I'm like, well, because yeah. you were out of space on the. So I, I understand that there's there's a confusion there. My recommendation, mm. if you're listening to this podcast, either a you bought a 16 gig device and you've made a terrible mistake, and you've run out of space, up upload your photos to Dropbox or Google Photos or iCloud Photo Library, 
and free up some of that space on your device. Or you're a person who takes lots of pictures of your kids, your family, special things to you, whatever. Again, update or upload those photos somewhere on the cloud, up on the bits flying around your head, just to be safe. Yeah, always back up your stuff, guys. Go old school. Do it with a sync cable to your yeah. computer. One, it, I, it takes a few minutes tops. I, I do. Once a month, I always back up my phone to my computer. And then before any yeah. major update, like before I go into the beta software or before I do a big update, you know, when iOS 9 comes out, I always make sure I plug in and do an iTunes backup. You don't have to do one every day. The iCloud backups uh, as a daily thing are fine, but have a backup. It's always better to have two backups as far away from each other as you possibly can, at least physically. So, um, other things related to not iOS 9, but related to iOS in an app sense, um, and I think we're mostly just on on little fun topics right now. Um, a, uh, an Xcode ghost hack apparently is a thing. Yeah, the press called it an App Store hack, and what it was, uh, a lot of Chinese developers, they don't download their Xcode uh, developments environment. They don't download the app from Apple like they should. They actually do it from other servers because it downloads very slowly, apparently, in China. So they'll download it from other developers or from the cloud. or from, And someone infected a version of Xcode. I think it was 6 point something something. It's an older version. And uh, infected it with uh, what they're calling Xcode Ghost. And it allows uh, the bad guys, if they want to, they can read a lot of stuff about your device. As far as they know, it hasn't been used for anything bad. And the most it can really grab is information let me look real quick I think it was basically just inf- just system information about uh, about the uh, device itself mm-hmm. they are suggesting if you had any of these apps uh, most of them are popular in China to uh, change your passwords you know to the standard thing you do after a hack quotation marks um but, I mean, it's been a big thing in the press, but really it's Tempest in a teapot. Like I said, it, if if you don't download anything from Chinese developers uh, or, you know, it's not a popular app like that. I think the most popular app, I, I've seen where they've said Angry Birds 2 is affected, but I've only seen that a few places. And when I have, it's been the Chinese version. Sure. Um, the other one, oh, what was it? Come on, come on, come on. Uh, WeChat is one that is popular over here. Uh, the latest version isn't affected anymore. Okay. So. So so they think maybe 300 or so apps. Let's let's talk a little bit about journalism and what's commonly referred to as FUD. F-U-D. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I can't tell you how many instances I've seen of a of, of popular, seemingly reputable. Apple sites taking this and screaming, oh, look, iOS has malware now, or making comparisons with Android and the level of malware that's occurred on there and suggesting that there's some kind of a sick, slippery slope going on. I think it's fair to set the record straight. Let's make a couple of things very 
very clear. First, the only reason this was a problem in the first place is that developers were downloading unauthorized versions of Xcode. They went outside of the sandbox. Exactly. They went outside of the sandbox. They should have known better. Apple's developer program makes it very explicit that you should only get distributions of Xcode directly from Apple. They're the developer. It only makes sense. Number two, it's really not a very serious form of malware. Unlike the, the, the versions of malware that are very common on Android devices that can often compromise your personal information, Xcode Ghost does not in any way compromise your personal information. It reveals what is, in essence, a spec sheet of your device. In other words, it's mostly benign, mostly harmless. So those people that are taking this as evidence that malware can slip through the App Store should be silenced pretty immediately. That's really not what's happened. Xcode Ghost, even in its worst form, is barely malware at all, and it only exists because developers made mistakes, which Apple caught and promptly fixed. Also of note, um, a developer can actually, within their app, basically query for that information. So it all all it's doing is sending it back somewhere. Right. So So realistically, as far as malware goes, it's doing 90% of the things that are within the rules of an app anyway. Right. The, the main deal is it's doing it without anybody knowing. And it's still, it's not hurting anything. So if you're a journalist out there listening to this and you're one of the people spreading this kind of FUD, stop. It's not fair to your readers. Yep. And, and while we're at it, quit with the damn Apple car. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I had some, no joke. I had somebody text me this morning. And the text message said, um, Apple is making a car, exclamation question mark. I said, probably not, but the media likes to imagine things based on rumors. And he said, okay, good. They should stick to what they know. I don't think cars are a great idea. <laughs> it's, it's to the point now where your NBC and your ABC and your CNN and your Wall Street Journal and whoever are all saying... Apple's making a car, and instead of 2020, now it's going to be 2019. Hold your horses. Apple might not even be making a car. They could be making a self-driving system that works with a car that they can license to Chevy or Ford or VW or, you know, something like that. But I don't foresee Apple making a physical car. I think I don't think the market is ready for that. At the very least... I think the right thing to say is there's absolutely no realistic, credible evidence at this point to suggest that it's really even a remote possibility. It's purely speculation, link bait at its worst. So I, I just thought I would I would throw that in there. While we're talking about sensationalist headlines and stuff, and anything you read about the Apple car, that same grain of salt you took the hacking stuff with, let that one cover the... Uh... The car stuff too. Amen to that. Um, two other really quick. Oh, I guess three. Holy crap! This is gonna be a long show, guys. Uh, Apple, uh, in uh, in their support documents for the Apple Watch, 
just because I think this is hilarious. Um, Apple posted a, a screenshot of the Friends interface, and in classic internet fashion, Rick rolled everyone who looks at the page because the Friends initials are N E V E R G U N N A G I V E Y U and U P. And if you break that down, it's never going to give you up minus the O and the word U because then it would be an odd number of letters. So, Love it. In the uh, amazingness of the internet. That's delightful. Some developer, coder, whatever, took a screenshot of that and used that as the image because they're hilarious. And it's not the first time Apple has done this in the iOS 7 control center support document. The song that was playing in Control Center in their screenshot was also Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. So, found that hilarious that Apple's using their support docs as a way to still have some fun. Gigs for everyone. Gigs for everyone. Pretty awesome. The, uh, the last, I guess, two topics that I wanted to talk about. Um, one of which is this awesome woman on Twitter who received her <laughs> iPhone 6S last night or yesterday even though they're not supposed to be delivered till friday yeah and promptly took about 800 photos of her dog <laughs> and but she benchmarked uh-huh. it yeah that's she, pretty cool she ran it through geekbench the thing is almost as powerful as an ipad 2 or air 2 yeah it's pretty awesome mind-blowing well they got like a single core score of 2391 multi-core score of 4806 pretty cool so uh, if if anyone else happens to receive their iPhone 6S or 6S Plus early, just know that you are uh, a hero. So the last topic I wanted to talk about was content blockers. Because this is something that in the last week with iOS 9 coming out has stirred up a little bit of controversy, a little bit of fear and uncertainty, um, but not in a scary Apple car is coming way and that is in the sense that many who create content uh, bloggers, writers and whatever are facing a potential issue with having ads that support their site serve to customers who read their site because of content blockers that are now a part of iOS or can be part of iOS I should say mm-hmm. and a, a fairly notable person in the Apple community, Marco Arment, actually released a content blocker. It came out on uh, the 19th. 19th? Is that the launch day? Somebody check that. Sounds right. Yeah. The uh, Whatever the launch day was of iOS 9. His app came out the same day. It was called Peace. And within three days, uh, it was the number one paid app in the App Store. I think he was selling it for three bucks, so it's not like he had to, you know, sell two copies or something to get there. Like he was selling mm. a lot of copies of it, and he opted to pull it from the app store because he didn't like the idea of st- basically stealing the livelihood from people or potentially stealing the livelihood from people. Um, so what do you guys think of this whole content blocker thing? I can see both sides of it. My gut reaction is to say that it's inherently immoral to block any non-obtrusive ad. 
Um, it, it's a big part of how the internet works. It's a big part of how publishers are able to provide content to you. Exactly. On the other hand, there are a lot of ads out there that, that are badly done. They can impede your experience. They can slow down your device while you're browsing. And I can understand people's desire and perhaps even need to block ads like that. Um, I still don't like the idea of content blockers. I just think that publishers should be a little bit more responsible with their advertising policies. Because I think content blockers are ultimately going to hurt publishers. Yeah, yeah it's something MacTrust relies on, although we do have other income streams. Um, it's it's funny, I've looked at it the last week or two, and our visitors come in about, um, I'd say 30 or 40% of them are on iOS. So that's 30 or 40% of people that could be blocking the ads. Although our monthly impressions for our ad provider has actually went up in the past week. So I'm not sure what's going on there. The, the thing that I find most concerning about many of the content blockers is they can also apparently also block Google Google Analytics, they which can. right that that's an important way for publishers to gauge a lot of things, and, how much server load they need to prepare for, and so forth, when they need to do site maintenance, when their peak times are. It's not even just Google Analytics either. It's it's any third party JavaScript. So like Apple on their site uses uh, Adobe's Omniture for analytics, which is a hundred percent inobtrusive, super fast loading. Actually, part of it actually lives on Apple's web servers. But because there's third-party script that gets run, it can be blocked. Not that Apple has a huge concern over that uh, from their end, but the idea that it can be blocked. And other sites, uh, my wife was shopping uh, on my phone the other night because her phone had died, and a button wouldn't click, and she couldn't figure out why. Well, apparently they had used some JavaScript that wasn't hosted on the site's root domain. It was hosted on some CDN. And so buttons wouldn't work to like select your size for a shirt that mm -hmm. she was looking at because it's JavaScript. So somewhere in there, there's an issue of, yes, you're, you're trying to make the web faster by not loading some of this third party stuff. And that's why it's content blockers. They're not just ad blockers. They're blocking lots of content potentially. And people say, oh, why don't you just host all your content on your own? Well, because Google has a giant library of free JavaScript scripts that you can access. So, mm -hmm. I, I've seen a I've seen a popular counter argument to this, and the counter argument is that this is paving the way for subscription services and memberships and limited paywalls. And while I can sympathize with those arguments on some level, um, I, I do kind of have to, at the end of the day, conclude that they're not very good counter arguments uh, because these ad blockers are doing. More than just blocking ads, like you say, they're they're irresponsible in a number of ways. They can affect and even cripple the way that many sites work. Many sites use basic fast loading scripts to craft the sort of experience that you expect from their site. People are going to be disappointed if they go to a site, you know, like. For instance, um, the Verge has used JavaScript in some of their cool articles, like the, the neat gaming article they did when the PS4 came out. 
Um, people aren't necessarily going to understand why that appears broken on their devices, right. and it's going to make publishers look bad. Mm-hmm. So, moral of the story, if you're going to use a content blocker, and there are some great ones out there, and there are some free ones, and there are some paid ones, and the paid ones give you some features, the other ones don't, um, just understand that by doing that, you are effectively asking someone to give you content that they worked on and should be reimbursed for in some way, should they so choose, and you're basically stealing that for free. Agreed. So, I think when you're in the world of content creation, you look at it a little different than the world of the consumer end of things. Definitely. Nobody wants the entire internet to end up behind a paywall, and that's the kind of direction we're heading if this sort of thing continues. And I can think of a certain site that just launched a membership program, and while I respect the site greatly... I don't think that's the right move because it's encouraging others to do the same. And I, I, I want to I defend Max Stories on this a little bit because um, I believe that's who you're talking about. Max Stories, Federico Petitti's site. I think they're doing this the right way and the best way that it can be done because they're not limiting the content on their site. Oh, absolutely not. Their, their membership is basically an accessory to gain additional access and additional content that otherwise wouldn't have shown up on their site. It's just fresh stuff only for contributors, right. um, which I think is a great way to handle it. But at the same time, I, I don't like the idea because maybe it starts here, but uh-huh. it it's, like I said, it's, it's setting a, a really early precedent to say, for $5 a month, I can charge for this extra stuff. And then somebody that's a little greedier might say, well, we can... We can do what New York Times does. I think it's New York Times or Wall Street Journal. Oh, you want to read this article? Oh, you have to subscribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Not not everybody is as scrupulous as Federico. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I, I feel like because he's kind of the first of the Apple blogs to do it, he's setting a, a scary standard. I think that's all we have for Apple-related news short of our our somethings of the week. Glenn, you had yours first in the notes. What is your something of the week? The new season of Gotham, which I I don't remember what network it comes on. Fox. Um, Fox. I I ultimately don't care because I access it through Hulu. But the new season's out. Um, I watched the first episode. It's the beginning of the rise of the villains. And I got to say, it's pretty phenomenal. Definitely kept me on edge. Uh, really, really great stuff. So if, if any of you have a Hulu Plus subscription or frequent Fox on your local cable, um, you should you should definitely give it a look. It's uh, it, it's proving to be a promising buildup to a very, very incredible season. Yeah, anyone who complained that last season was too slow, they won't have that problem this season if it stays the way episode one did. Oh, yeah, lots of big things happen. There was lots of stuff going on everywhere. Good deal. I will use my Hulu subscription to, uh, well, I guess watch season one and then start watching season two. Yeah, you need to do that. Because apparently I'm uneducated and don't watch good TV. Oh, you're missing out. This is great stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Chris, you're a confusing selection of... <laughs> yeah, this something. this uh, you remarked upon this. I don't even own an Apple Watch in my uh, something of the week is Apple Watch related. 
I've I've used a, uh, and we've reported about it on Mattress. They've used an app called Data Man Next. At least I used it back when I had a, a metered internet plan. Uh, it would keep track of your data usage for the month and would warn you uh, when you were getting close to your limit or got over your limit. Um, and ever since iOS 8, it's also been available in the, uh, you know, as a, as a, for want of a better word, widget or what do you call it in the, um, I'm just pulling up a total blank here, in your notifications area. But now with the Apple Watch, they have added Apple Watch complications, which are now available as of Watch OS 2. And it's uh, very simple and, and very ingenious. All it does is uh, adds a little complication to your watch face. If you've got a green check, you're doing all right on your data for the month. If you see a blue exclamation point, well, you're getting kind of close. And a red X means you're screwed, Jack. Verizon's going to own you. So uh, it's a great little app. It's a buck ninety-nine. It's available in the App Store. Uh, if you don't have an Apple Watch, it's still a great uh, great little app to track your data usage on your iOS device. And you can read more about that on MacDrest, of course. Link in the show notes. Uh, the app I I picked this week is actually an app that's been around for a long time, but an app that I've tried to use uh, like four or five times, and I've never been good at being consistent with it. Um, and it's a journaling app called Day One. And I've been doing for the last... A uh, week or so, um, lynda.com courses on iOS app development. And so I've been trying to use day one as a journal app so that I can go through and basically keep track of the things I'm learning as I'm learning them. So just kind of a daily log of here's what I learned today in these videos and here's here's what I had troubles with and here's what was confusing to me. And the idea that every day at, I think you can set a schedule, I think for me it's set like 7.30 p.m. gives me a little notification, just says, hey, just a reminder, uh, did, you, did you do anything today? Time to update your, um, did, you, did you do anything, update your journal? And I go into my journal and I say, you know, today uh, I didn't watch my videos because I was digging holes for a new deck. So today I'm not worried about it. Yesterday I went through and I was like, oh, today I learned about table cell views and whatever and so I added a little note and said here's where I had troubles. It's kind of a cool app. Nice quick way to uh, keep track of stuff and just have a nice diary but on your iOS device I guess for lack of a better way to put it. Um, and it uses iCloud to sync device to device which is kind of cool. Very cool. And you can and you can password or touch ID protect it. So if you're writing you know, to your diary today jimmy kissed me at school or whatever you're whatever these i'm sure we have lots of 14 year old girls that are listening to our our podcast so and maybe one that hosts it so. <laughs> well while you mentioned it i just i just want to add an additional shout out for lynda.com they're a great learning tool i actually use them as well oh, lots yeah, of great stuff out there they're yes. great i used uh, where i used to work we had a subscription for everybody it was great and if if you are a, a frequenter of the podcasting world You've inevitably heard someone with an ad for lynda.com and some great deal. I do recommend, if you're not sure, um, go to like relay.fm, click on one of their shows, go to the sponsor link. You get 10 free days. It's a good That's place to Linda start. That's lynda with a Y. L-Y-N-D-A dot com. So, a an unofficial sponsor of 
of my attempt at learning how to write iOS apps. And uh, if you have an idea for something super, super simple that I should do for my first app, go ahead and send it my way. Um, I will not be making apps that involve cats. And I will not be making um, a game, probably, for my first thing. Where can I find hard street drugs in my area? Okay. I think that's also, <laughs> it also has to fall within the realm of what Apple will allow. So. Uh-huh. To be legal. Oh, man. You're, like, narrowing it down here. I know. I'm making it really difficult. Um, and and whatever, whatever suggestions I get, I will add to my day one journal, uh, which day one, four ninety nine in the App Store, um, or download the Starbucks app and go back a few weeks. I think there was a free code for it. For reference, the correct answer is behind the Walmart dumpster. <laughs> Which, interestingly enough, is where Glenn broadcasts from every week. <laughs> and with that, you can find the show notes for today's episode at magnificentpodcast.com slash 20. You can tweet us your questions with the... Uh, username at magnificent fm or with the hashtag ask magnificent if you feel so inclined and you can leave us a rating review in itunes helps us know that you care and tells us that you listen to the show which is fantastic Uh, my thanks as always to chris and glenn for their words of wisdom or lack thereof Uh, if people care to find you guys in the internet where might they look uh well Glenn's behind the Walmart in the dumpster. On the internet. (laughs) Didn't we call it on the internet? Oh. I can be found mainly on Twitter at the Glenja. And that's it? And behind Walmart. (laughs) Walmart. Yeah, that's that's basically it. I like to keep my internet presence fairly limited. They have a nice LTE signal right there at the dumpster, so. I I put a hotspot there It does take square payments also, so. Uh, You can find me on MacTrast and Twitter at CLHAUK. And various other places that I'm probably embarrassed to admit. So there you go. And I'm I'm on the internet at Ian Fuchs, I A N F U C H S. Spell it correctly. And with that, <laughs> with that, gentlemen, uh, say bye. Bye. Bye bye. Okay, I'll take it, but I won't like it. <laughs> You're a slut. You know I guess, it. That, would make, I guess that would make you a whore.